0: for for a quarter Lord (laughs) or even less than that Lord we thank you that you um, have loved us with such a deep love Lord and we there are no words to thank you but Lord we again
1: want to say we love you Lord and thank you that it was you who loved us first Lord
0: we praise you in Jesus name Amen Yes, that's one. Good evening ladies and gentlemen. How's your day been? Okay? Yeah. I I I uh I actually heard the message of uh what's who's that the uh, uh, Dr. Daniel uh, Chenkenstein, <laughs> The famous crazy professor who talked about the the, the world and the light years and the Billions of miles and billions of stars, and billions of galaxies. The guys really hung up on billions, didn't they? Yeah, that's really good. Huh. Okay, well, here's the story. You see, when uh, the servant went out and got Rebecca, she uh, was worth about 25 cents. But when she agreed to come back to Isaac... Now she was worth billions. She climbed on the camels that were not hers, enjoyed the rich Middle Eastern food that was not hers, was protected by the servant and others, and she came back in a royal wedding, back to see Isaac. And boy, when she met Isaac, she realized what rich really is. He was totally rich. He took Abraham's investment and exponentially made it that much richer. Now that's what's happened to us. We were worth a quarter and we got saved. And you know, here's the deal. When somebody small meets somebody great, it can't help but enlarge us. So we're in the process of enlargement. You can imagine Rebecca riding on the camel, asking the servant all kinds of questions about Isaac. And the more she comprehended, the more she grew in stature and in love. So we're going to start out on that camel train because you all know this song, right? All right, now let's get on the wagon here. Come on. Some of you have to wake up. Oh, hold it, hold it. I need an assistant. <laughs> huh? how, how about, I tell you what, the, let's go with the von the, the Schenkenstein's son, Elijah. <laughs> Elijah, come on up here and help me out. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, you, come on. The doctor, the professor's son, you know. All right. I'm sorry, I, I found out last night I'm like a, a, a lunar eclipse. I blocked off this whole side from seeing <laughs> seeing the words. I didn't realize I was that big. All right, Elijah, come on over here. There you go. Now you just have to push these little things like that. See, this is verse 2. This is verse 3. Okay. That's all you got to do. Just piece of cake. All right, here we go. Ready? "'Twas a day in early springtime by an ancient wayside well. the paused to rest his camel train. He had found a bride for Isaac. He hadn't breathed, fell. For his weary
1: journey had not been in vain. Oh,
0: get ready, evening shadows fall. Don't you... Hey, wait a minute, Where, what does it say? Where did it say clap three times? That's a Toronto thing, isn't it? You know, I don't know what it is about Toronto. They love to clap. Okay, everybody else can join in if you want. Oh, get ready. Ready? Oh, get ready. Evening shadows fall.
1: Don't you hear the Eleazar call? There's going to be a wedding and our joy will soon begin in the evening
0: when the camel train comes in. So he took the fair Rebecca, dressed in jewels rich and rare, to Abraham and
1: Isaac far away. Rebecca loved her Isaac, and he loved Rebecca fair. Oh, it must have been a happy wedding day. Oh, get ready, evening shadows fall. Don't you hear the Eliezer call? There's going to be a wedding And the joy will just begin In the evening when the camel train comes in Now the blessed Holy Spirit From our God, our God above
0: Has come down to earth to find a worthy bride For our Isaac over yonder Has prepared his tents of love And he wants his fair Rebecca by his side Oh,
1: get ready, even shadows fall. Don't you hear the Eleazar call? It's gonna be a wedding. Joy will soon begin in the evening when the camel train comes
0: in. We have left our kinfolk gladly. We have paid the world goodbye. We've been called to be his pure and spotless bride. Where we'll soon behold our Jesus in that blessed eternity. Happy wedding it will be.
1: Yeah, oh, get ready. Evening shadows fall. Don't you hear the Eleazar call? There's going to be a wedding, and our joy will soon begin. In the evening, when the camel train comes in. Oh, get ready, even shadows fall. But you hear the Eliezer call. There's going to be a wedding, and a joy will soon begin. It's in the evening, when the camel train comes in. Yahoo! That's <laughs> uh-uh, just enough. Isn't it?
0: All right. Well, sounds like you're getting ready going to be a great wedding day. Christ and his bride. A wonderful time. But first, we have to lift our vision higher. No, no, no. (laughs) Punch the next one. There's
1: the one I wanted right there. Lift your vision higher. Soaring skyward. Resurrections fly. Very good. That was a good night. Lift your vision higher. Reach out toward Him Upward callings fly Look beyond the surface of this world Look at who you really are in Him
0: Fill the Potter's hands with mercy's force Sense the holy holy flame within.
1: Lift your vision higher, Soaring skyward, Resurrection fly. higher, reach out toward Him, upward calling pride.
0: Know your service never is in vain, for the King remembers all your tears. Silently His presence draw with near. No
1: one ever held Your name so dear. Lift Your vision higher. Soaring skyward. Resurrections fly. higher, reach out toward Him, upward calling, cry, no. Amen.
0: <clears throat> well, okay, a little bit of mystery here. Sing on here
1: there's a mystery of love surrounding you
0: changing
1: rearranging. The things you do, do you know, is deep love,
0: not the kind the world talks about, diving
1: deep in his love, his love is deeper than your broken heart. There's a mystery of love high as heaven Lifting up your life with love that never ends Do you know is high love
0: Not the kind the world talks about Love come down from heaven for the cross to save us with His
1: blood.
0: There's a mystery of love holding you. Love that suffers long and binds Himself to you. Do you know His long
1: love? Not the kind the world talks about. See how long his arms are. He will never ever let you go. There's a mystery of love reaches you, love that gathers you along with altitude. Do you know his wide love? Not the kind the world talks about Every race and nation
0: Will be joined with them in heaven above Height and depth, width and breadth
1: Jesus' love Just let Jesus touch your heart See what He'll do for you.
0: Lord, we thank You. We've heard all weekend about the greatness of who You are. Your dimensions and Your love and Your creation and, and just the greatness of Your glory in all the earth. And we thank You that we study these things. Now, by the Holy Spirit, we pray, continue to impress us with the greatness of our King. That we may be attracted to Him be captured by his beauty, find ourselves wanting to know more and more about his greatness. Thank you for our time together as we study the Word. Keep us alive and alert. We thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you, Elijah. I'm sorry, I missed uh, Professor von Schenkenstein there. I heard he had a big Bible. He needed a whole other thing over here. Is that right? <laughs> ah, you know what it's like to get older now, dude. He used to laugh at me, right? Now, yeah, 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 no, yeah, things have changed. Um, actually, I heard his message, but the volume was kind of low on the thing. There's a couple of points I didn't quite get. Now, here's the first thing: you said what? Now, if we fly to Singapore. At the speed of light, uh, it still takes 18 hours and we get off the plane the size of a quarter. Is that, is that what you were saying? I'm not sure the, the physics dynamics of that thing. I, I think maybe I missed something there. Uh, and I missed the point about Noah building the ark. Did you say that Noah could build the ark because he worked out an hour and a half a day? What? Where did you find that in the scripture? I've been looking. I don't see 90 minutes. I looked for anything like that. 90 minutes. No, nothing. And there was a third point. Did I hear you say that you climbed a mountain so high one day that your mama had a doctor slap you so that you could cry? I, I, I hope you all took better notes than I did because, I, frankly, I got a little lost in some of that stuff. But the Professor had you in the laboratory huh? ah, 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 ah. there was this lightning going all over the place. There was universes showing up. oh wow, isn't it amazing what they're finding on uh, by looking up in the telescopes and looking up in the it's amazing did you see that picture the first uh, picture of a black hole that's that's really something uh, anyway, there we go, okay now. Uh, we want to just read some scriptures in Ephesians. We're trying to sort of stay in Ephesians as much as as I, I can. I noticed that, that the Prince Lucio and, and Dr. Chenkenstein they, they went out into John. That's cheating. Yeah, no, no, you got to stay in Ephesians. We're doing Ephesians. So let's look at some verses in Ephesians as we get started tonight, okay? Uh, that that little portion that shows us. The, uh, what he's trying to, us, to have us comprehend is actually found in Ephesians 2.19-22 through 22, as he sums up two chapters of the greatness of Christ and the greatness of his church. And so we, he comes to the conclusion and for this reason he bows his knee to his father. Uh, 2.19 of Ephesians. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. How big is God's household? Includes all the angels, by the way. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom, that is in Christ, the whole building is being fitted together and is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. What a tremendous work this is that's being done. We're being built into it. That's part of what Paul means when he says that you might be filled up to all the fullness of God. There's a tremendous work going on at this present time. And then the passage that we are focused on this weekend, beginning in chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Because we're a family now. Do we recognize and comprehend the dimensions of this family? That He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Just in chapter 4, a couple of verses on fullness there. Beginning in verse 11. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Can you imagine the body of Christ being built to the measure, the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ? And then one more in uh, Ephesians chapter five, thirty-two, where Paul is talking about husbands and wives, and he says, this mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. We uh, have been wanting to focus on this matter of comprehending the dimensions. And last time we simply introduced it by explaining what the dimensions are Paul is referring to. Now, some, some Bible uh, versions actually talk about these four dimensions of the love of Christ. Well, you can understand why they would say that. Because the love of Christ is beyond all recognition. All of the points of the cross, point, point and directions that are just so far beyond our understanding that you could use that. But as we have been trying to look at it faithfully to the scriptures, according to uh, the grammar and everything we saw that uh, when it comes to this tremendous breadth, length, height and depth, these dimensions, it was talking about two things that are combined together. First is the greatness of Christ himself. As uh, was mentioned again this morning, you know, uh, it's always necessary as the Holy Spirit reveals to us how great Christ is. to, as it were, move the camera back so that we can take in and comprehend how great He is. But then attached to that, in an eternal union, is the body of Christ, His bride. You have now become bone of His bone and flesh of His flesh. And the things that He was is working in chapter 1 and in chapter 2, all has to do with you as well as with His greatness. You may be a Rebecca from a poor background, but He's transforming us as his bride. So that we understand, well, you know, when a king uh, takes on a woman and she's going to be his bride one day, a lot of times this woman has to learn a lot about about uh, how you act in the palace. And even how you hold your fork. What do you do with the, with the six forks on one side and the four spoons on the other and then you've got two knives and something in the middle? I don't know how to work it. Well, the prince has to teach us. As It's kind of like the prince who, and, and Cinderella. You know, Cinderella was nothing, right? I mean, she basically cleaned out the fireplace, as I remember. Oh, did the prince have a name? Was he Prince Charming or just Prince? We don't know. Prince Charming. Well, the real story about uh, Prince Charming and Cinderella was this. When they really got together, it took about two years for her to learn how to sleep on the bed, how to dress properly. She had to get a mani-pedi every day. It's a tough job, you know, but somebody's got to do it. She had to learn the court language. You know, she speaks English Slavovia, And she has to learn how to speak the king's proper English, you know. There's a lot of training involved. And so we're involved in this training. So we're heaped in there with Christ together in this greatness, this greatness that will one day be, as it were, the center of the kingdom, the center of the new Jerusalem You see, Christ, the picture of the New Jerusalem is this. Christ is the center of the New Jerusalem. And all those stones and precious gems and gold around, that's us. There's one great unity in eternity. And this is what we're striving for in this whole thing. But we noticed that as Paul said in chapter 1, the Holy Spirit can reveal to you some of the size and greatness of Christ by revelation. But there is an understanding, a comprehension, that comes by living it out and by being joined together with other brothers and sisters. It's like together we can see these greater dimensions. By ourselves, we can only see a very narrow thing. You know, we used to have exams that were called in, 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 in university comprehensives. I don't know what you have anymore. But comprehensives were you sat down and took an examination based on the whole year, both semesters, of everything you studied on that, on that course. It was a comprehensive examination. Not just, you know, a, a pop quiz from one chapter or something like this. Is comprehensive. And we need to come to a comprehensive understanding of these wonderful dimensions. But in order to do that, we've got to see the things together. We've got to be rooted in love. And love has got to be established in us. And the Holy Spirit has to strengthen our inner man. Now, when Paul says inner man, he's basically referring to our spirit being strengthened. Because we start out, when we're first saved, our spirit is born again, but our soul is strong. Our soul is, you know, big Tarzan. Me, 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 me. Our spirit is a still small voice within us. The Holy Spirit goes in and strengthens our spirit, which strengthens our heart, and Christ can come in and dwell in our hearts by faith. So, there's over your, over your head, I can see there's a, there's a manhole cover, and there's a sign over there that says, the Spirit at Work, because He's working on you, working on you, strengthening the inside, so that you can understand all of these great things that you're a part of. Now, tonight, if I can, I just want to use those four dimensions the breadth the length the height and the depth just to talk about some of the dimensions of Christ and our involvement in Christ when we talk about the breadth of Christ we're talking about the gospel we're talking about how far his reach really is he is and when we see the breadth of the Christ Don't forget, we have to include ourselves in that broadness of what is going on one day. There's that vision in Revelation chapter 7 where there are those whose robes have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And how many people were in that crowd? Innumerable. That means you can't count them. There's so many. The Gospel is so great and so broad that people are being saved all over the place. I don't know if you realize this. And let me, you know, I mean, there's world statistics. There's a, a, a mission organization, and they keep a book, and they try to keep records in 10 year gaps. So I'm 10 years behind because 2010 is the last one they came out with. But in 2010, how many people do you think are saved every year and become Christians? I'm talking about the whole world. How many people? What do he say? Two, what? Two million. Now, you're a little off. Yeah. A lot more. <laughs> That's kind of general statement, but yeah, you happen to be right. Yeah, back there. A lot. Oh, well, did he, what are these Sunday school answers? I want numbers, numbers. It, it didn't count the did Schenkenstein show you numbers? Yeah. A billion. There's only 7 billion people in the world. That's going to take six more years and everybody's saved. (laughs) That's a little over-ambitious there. All right, one more. 1,000. Well, he's a little conservative, I would say. What do you think? (laughs) Well, let me put it this way. If you can figure it out quickly. 80,000 people are saved every day. Isn't that amazing? Let me make it more... 3,300 people are being saved across the world while we're having this meeting right now. In an hour. You know what? It's the breadth of Christ's Gospel reach. It's the breadth of His great salvation. And it happens to be, in 2010, 29 million people a year are being saved by the precious blood of Jesus Christ and the Gospel going out. Now, can you sense the breadth of Christ and his gospel? This is a tremendous thing. Right now, there's, of course, a lot, a lot still going on. Praise God. A lot of things still going on in China and a lot of people being saved. But not as many as happened uh, 10 years ago. Right now, the hotbed seems to be, where do you think? Africa is still number one. But number two, strangely, the Muslim world in Iran, and in the Middle East. Many, many people are being saved. You know, there's a woman who, who does a gospel show in, in both Farsi and in... Uh, um, uh, I forget the other uh, languages she does. She does these two uh, shows, and she puts it online, and she's got more than 5 million women following her. It's tremendous what's happening. God is saving Because of the breadth of Christ. I know it's hard for us to comprehend. How do we comprehend 29 million new brothers and sisters every year? All of that is being added to us. And this is something really great to consider. Now let me show you what I mean by us having to grow up to understand the greatness of his gospel. On the day of Pentecost, there were, as you know, 3,000 people saved. And uh, they were all Jews. And uh, they all were in Jerusalem at the time. And they probably thought that the gospel was basically for the Jews. And then they had to expand, uh, stretch their breadth a little bit when the Greek-speaking Jews also got saved. And then, They heard that some Samaritans had gotten saved. Whoa, we don't like Samaritans. Well, you like them now because they're your brothers and sisters. And next thing you know, some Gentiles up in Antioch are getting saved. We don't want Gentiles saved. No, 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 no. They eat pork. We don't want any pig people. But God wanted pig people. And so Gentiles start getting saved. As a matter of fact, more Gentiles start getting saved than Jews who are getting saved. And now something has to happen to your heart. You see, our problem always is our heart is narrow. You like people as handsome as you are. You like girls as pretty as you are. You hang out with them. You want them to get saved. But... Ugly Joe, you want him to get saved? Nah, we don't want ugly Joe. My brother gets saved? God forbid. God, don't do it. We have a lot of prejudice, you see. And how are we going to uh, ever uh, uh, come into this understanding of the breadth of his gospel if we're narrow-hearted? So all through the New Testament, you see that God was stretching the hearts of the Christians to embrace all the people That were around them. In Ephesians. Do you remember what the subtopic is of Ephesians? They were dealing with the narrowness of the Jews. Who had to accept that the Gentiles. Have become fellow heirs. They have become fellow citizens. They are being built into the same inheritance. See the Jews. Look. The Jews had 12 tribes. And each tribe had an inheritance. Right? If you were of the tribe of Issachar. You had an inheritance up there by uh, Mount Carmel. Now wait a minute. We don't want Gentiles in and in on our inheritance when the kingdom comes. Jesus says, "Too bad. They're in. I brought them in. My hands brought them in. My love is broad. My gospel has breadth to it." And so you see, the Ephesians had to learn to accept the fact that the breadth of Christ's reach, by His gospel, was beyond what they could understand. But have you understand the breadth of God's working in you? You know, we, we, we seldom realize that before we were saved, God was already engineering our life. God was already helping us, protecting us, preparing us for the day that we got saved. We sometimes think we kind of maybe fell in by accident and in in hearing in the Gospel and getting saved. But no, the Holy Spirit has been working in your life, stretching out, drawing you with His cords of love before you ever got saved. I didn't get saved till I was 20 years old. But as I look back on my life, I can see when I was 12 and when I was 16, things that God was doing behind the scenes in my life to make me hungry for salvation. God is at work in the depths of your life. Do you see the breadth of His work and the work of the Holy Spirit? Here's another one. One of the hardest things for us to realize is that God knowing us Christ knowing us sees beyond our faults and sees our value sometimes we think we're worth nothing we feel like we're sinners and we we keep blowing it and making mistakes and getting nowhere and going backwards and you know what Christ sees beyond your faults because he's already paid for them and he sees the gold which he wants to build into you now one day you'll see that but right now God's stretching your mind to comprehend that because you think whenever, whenever you fail that God just leaves you and says, ah, "I don't like you anymore." no 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 no. God see God knows you. you remember how John says in first John chapter three? he says, "Whenever your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart and he knows what's really going on when you feel all condemned and ashamed and such a rotten sinner, God knows your heart beyond that. Even when David did those terrible things like killing Uriah and sleeping with Bathsheba, God saw beyond those things he did because he saw that David had a heart for the Lord. Now, let me ask you a question. Because it all starts in the heart. Do you have a heart for the Lord? If you have a heart for the Lord, the Lord works. The Lord is patient. The Lord stretches. Even if you run away, He has a way of running out there and catching you with His arm and bringing you back to Himself. Some of you have known the Lord and have run away and have come back. You know that Jesus loves you so much. But to comprehend the breadth of that love, when you put it together with all of the rest of us, it's something we comprehend together. That's why why when we get together, and we share testimony. Suddenly we see how broad Christ really is. How he has reached from this end of the world to that end of the world to bring people to himself. The breadth of Christ. You see it in his salvation. His grace is so broad. We have a song. I don't know if you, you sing this song. The title of the song is There's a Wideness in God's Mercy. Have you ever heard of that song? Is it in the hymnary? I, I don't know. There's a wideness in God's mercy. Just think about that. His mercy is so wide. He understands so much. He is so forgiving. It has to do with the breadth of who Christ is. And what He's trying to get you to do is to see that dimension of His love until you have this same kind of love. I think when you begin to comprehend the breadth of Christ, you will more readily witness to your friends. Many of you hide your Christian experience from your friends. But if you realize how far Jesus reaches even to your friends, you'd be more willing to share the gospel. You see, it has implications in our life. The breadth of Christ... Oh, to have the love of Christ, so rich and pure, so merciful and free. It's bigger than the ocean. You know the song we sing. It's the breadth of Christ. The breadth of Christ. Okay. Now we're going to talk about the length of Christ. Now when you talk breadth, you talk about something wide and big. It's it's a measure of bigness. You talk about the length of Christ. Now you're talking about defining a defining, a measuring with definition of what Christ is really like. Paul calls Christ a mystery. Paul calls the church of mystery. Paul calls us a mystery of Christ and his church when he talks about marriage. There's a great mystery here, but it's important to comprehend the length. That is the dimensions of this mystery, especially the mystery called the church. So when we get saved, we come into the church. Now, what do we see in the definition of what the church should be like? Unfortunately, today, the church is pretty amorphous. In other words, it doesn't have much definition to it. It doesn't have much design because there's one church over here that has this design, one church over here that has that design, and they all look so different. And and all these different designs kind of confuse you. You don't understand the... The length of Christ until you begin to see His measurement of what the church should be like. Uh, many churches adopted the Old Testament temple as their model. What's the church like? It's like the old temple model. So in the front, you've got a priest and he's got all his garments on. You've got incense. He's swinging down the thing. you got choir singing in the back. This is like the Old Testament. That's what the church is like. Some people said, no, the model should be the Old Testament synagogue. In a synagogue, you get together, you study the Word, you sing some songs, you pray, a rabbi talks a few minutes, and everybody goes home. And that's what many people think the church is. It's a place I go, sing a few songs, hear the Word of God, pray a little bit, and I go home. That's not what the church is. And so you see, until we have a revelation of the length of Christ, the definition of Christ, we don't really know what the blueprint is. What is the blueprint of Christ in His church? Did, did Jesus give a blueprint to the disciples? Did you read chapter 5, John chapter 15b? The chapter that is not in your Bible, but it's in mine. Where he says now disciples here's how I want you to build the church. first, I want you to do this, second, I want you to do that, third, I want you to do this. I want you to set up this kind of organization I want to that's John chapter fifteen b Have you never seen it it 's because it's not in the Bible. He never told the disciples how to build the church. All he said was, I will build my church and yet when Jesus went up to heaven and the Holy Spirit came down, the apostles began to preach the gospel, and guess what? the church got built. According to the blueprint. Exactly according to the blueprint. And what is the blueprint of the church? Do you know? The blueprint of the church is Christ. It's because the church is not an organization. The church is not a building. The church is a living organism. It's Christ, the head, and his body together. Not separate we aren't the body of Christ, and now we've got to go find the head. You know, I used to pray, back in the old days, I used to pray prayers of invocation. It's because the denomination I was preaching in said, you start off with the invocation. You know what that means? You pray and you say, dear God, we come to you today, we're your body. And we know Jesus is the head. Would Jesus please come down and screw his head onto the body so that we can have a good time? Lord, we ask you to come down, because we know you're somewhere, but you're not here. This is just the body. And we're sitting here like a chicken with the head cut off. And we're hoping the body of the head comes down, screws themselves out. Suddenly, oh, now we're the church. But the fact that we're gathered two or three here tonight means Christ is already here and He's already the head. Because we're a living union, an organic body. So what's the blueprint of the church? Here it is. The blueprint of the church is it looks just like Jesus. Now, wait a minute. Now, I'm talking about you and me. We look just like Jesus. When two or three get together and the head is in control and the Holy Spirit is teaching us, people come in from the outside on a visit and they say, wow, I see Jesus. Now, we just feel like we're just brothers and sisters. But the church is to be a testimony of Jesus. When somebody sees the length of the church, they see Jesus in His church this is what the Lord really wants. You know, if you've got your Bible there and you're still awake, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. Because in that verse, you clearly see what the church really is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. For even as the body is one, yet has many members. And all the members of the body, though they are many are one, so also is Christ. Now, that last word, Christ, seems wrong. We should say, for even as the body is one and as many members, so also is the body of Christ. But no, he says, so also is Christ. And here again, Paul's using this special phrase, the Christ. The Christ is made up of members. Each one has their function. Now listen, you don't see and comprehend the length of Christ until you see that you're a member and you have a joint of supply. You have something to give. You are, you are a muscle. Or you are an eye. Or you are an ear. Or you are a, a, a tongue. Or you are a foot. Or you are a hand. You have a function in the body of Christ. And if you want to comprehend the length of Christ, you've got to see how you fit into that thing, you see? Because that's what Christ is. It's you. Led by Christ, filled with Christ, expressing Christ. And that's what the church is supposed to be. Now I know the church is all kinds of stuff is, is not supposed to be. But when we meet together, we should be able to sense the invisible presence of Christ, our Lord, in our midst. And so the Lord is building us together. He's building us together, it says, and we're built up until we come to maturity, to one man. A mature man. A Christ-like man. Until we come up to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ. Now, how is that going to happen? It can only happen when we get together and you do your part. So here we were tonight as an example at the opening time. And somebody here had the impression, pray. And they prayed. And they did their part. And people heard that. And Christ heard that. And the body was alive. And then somebody over here heard a, a, an impression in their heart. How do you know? Because your heart's thumping like this. Now you know you're supposed to do something. And you do nothing. And what happens? Well, the body suffers. It suffers in silence for two minutes. Well, you were supposed to be praying. Everybody's sitting here. A lot of women are looking down in their purse for whatever. I, I don't know lip balm seems to be the big thing. So if, if you're not praying, the women are putting lip balm on, you see. It, it, you just hurt the body. But what fullness? If everybody, when this happens, obeyed. Whoa. We'd have like an overflow. I mean, Hadassah would have to get up and say, okay, stop, hold it, hold it, hold it. We've been praying and praising God for two and a half hours. So we've got to quit. Because Dana's too old. He can't take it. That's what let the guy speak. So, yeah, I mean, we could have wonderful life like that. But you see, you've got to comprehend that you're part of this whole length of Christ, this living organism. It's very simple, but it's very complex. And we have to hold fast unto our head, Jesus Christ, or the body doesn't function well. But it also means, of course, just like in the breath, we have to embrace the cross so our hearts can expand to accept the breath. Once again, those things in our life that are not pleasing to Christ have to bear the cross and be removed so that Christ can be seen in the length of His body. Okay. The third thing, the height. The height of this Christ and His church. How high is this wonderful uh, organism that we're talking about? The height speaks primarily of the holy and heavenly nature of the church. The church is not an earthly organization, though we meet here on earth. The church is a holy, heavenly uh, being. right? So we gather to worship, pray, study. And what does Paul say? See, it's in Ephesians that he keeps showing us that we're really a heavenly reality. We're a heavenly organism. The church is heavenly. How does he say that? He says, well, when we got saved, the first thing we experience is what? We received every blessing in the heavenlies. And then we see Christ seated in the heavenlies. And then, after we're saved, we find ourselves seated in the heavenlies, Right? It's in Ephesians chapter 2, verse uh, 9 or, something, or 10 or 11, where we are seated with him in the heavenly places. Now, here we are on earth, and yet we see something of the height of this church, of this Christ in his church. My, my, it touches heaven and it touches earth. And it's everything in between. There's something so high about the church. We, 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 uh, so when these Jews, that the Paul writes to in the Ephesians, When these Jews first got saved, they were very earthbound because they were thinking of their inheritance back in in Israel. But Paul begins to say, no, 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 you have a heavenly inheritance. Wow, a heavenly inheritance. And you have a heavenly Lord. And you have a heavenly seating. Oh, there's a lot that they had to learn about the eternal nature of Christ. So Paul said things like this. You're blessed from the heavenlies. There is an administration that covers the affairs of our life together. It's in the heavens. The church has a heavenly purpose in chapter 3, verse 10. What is our heavenly purpose? That we might manifest before angels the glory of Christ and the wisdom of Christ according to God's eternal purpose. So even while we're on earth, the angels up in heaven are watching and seeing the wisdom of God In the church, we have a heavenly calling in that way. He also says in chapter 6, I know, that we have a heavenly battle, right? Our spiritual warfare is not here on earth, but it's in the heavenlies. We're fighting beings in the heavenlies, but we have heavenly equipment in this spiritual warfare. So here we are on earth and we're a church, but have you seen the height of your calling, the height of your life? It involves things that are going on in the heavenlies. And it also talks about one more thing. It talks about our heavenly position as a bride for our heavenly bridegroom. Our life is a holy life. Our life is a heavenly life. And so the cross works once again, getting rid of a lot of earthly things that need to go and bringing us by the grace of God to the place where we can be what he wants us to be. If you look here in Ephesians 2, let's just look, I just want you to see one verse here. Just touch one more thing that you have a heavenly purpose. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, in verse 6, we find us raised up into the heaven. As you see, Ephesians 2, verse 6. And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then is verse 7, I want you to look at. So that in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, for by grace you've been saved. Now, what is he basically saying? In the ages to come, you and I are to be trophies of his grace. Up in heaven, there's a big trophy shelf, and uh, and everybody who's saved is a trophy on the shelf. And all the angels come by and say, "Ooh, look, there's Dana on the shelf. Ooh, he's saved by grace. Oh, there's Noah up on the shelf, he's saved by grace." And he looks around and everybody is a trophy of the greatness of that greatness of that reach of Jesus there in the heavenlies. So the church is in a very heavenly position. And we also have some heavenly things to do. We have heavenly power working in us. And we we'll also show the unfathomable riches of Christ. That's what the church is supposed to do. What a high calling this is. Do you see the height of it? And do you see the holiness of it? It's, it's different from anything. anything. Listen, listen to how high Christ views you. Just listen for a second. How high does Christ view you? Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her. This is Ephesians 5.25. So that He might sanctify her, cleansing her by the washing of water with the Word, that He might present to Himself a church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Now, there's a high position we have. Christ right now has saved us. And look at those things He's doing. He's sanctifying us. He's washing us with the Word. He's smoothing out the wrinkles. Now, you sisters don't have any wrinkles. Your face is nice and round and you're all nice and youngish. Later on, wrinkles. And spots. But He's removing the spots. And he's getting us ready for the great presentation where he presents us to himself as a bride, ready, perfect, holy, blameless. Ah, wonderful. The height. The height of the church. Don't ever think the church is some kind of lowly thing. Your calling is heavenly. Your calling is, is pure. Your calling is separate from the world. Your calling is tremendous. It's, it's in the heavenlies. That our life is hid. And we discover that as we gather together, we comprehend how different the Lord makes His children as He's preparing them. And then the last one the depth. Now, when we talk about the depth of Christ in His church, of course, we're talking about love. Because when we touch Christ, we touch something that's so deep, so wonderful, so abiding. So unchanging. It has to do with the love of Christ. Now the Holy Spirit has to strengthen our inner man so we can know by experience the surpassing knowledge, love of God. So Paul ends our little portion here in Ephesians 3 by saying, and to know the love of God which surpasses knowledge. Now I don't know how much you know about the love of God. But it's beyond knowing. And how do we discover it's beyond knowing? Because we realize how undeserving we really are. And it's just at that time that we see how great His love really is. I mean, the depth was there and we saw it in the Gospels. To us, we we, we read those Gospel stories, we go, la, la, la. It's just stuff we've read before and it kind of rolls right off our back. But listen, Jesus loved prostitutes. Jesus loved sinners. Jesus loved lepers. Jesus loved His enemies. Jesus loved Judas. Jesus' love has a depth to it. And you see it when you read the Gospels. And you see the way He loved His disciples. His disciples were a little bit like nudniks. They said a lot of wrong things. They thought a lot of wrong things. They did a lot of wrong things. But Jesus loved them To the end, his love never died for them. He loved them. He kept them. He taught them. He trained them. How about you? How deep is his love for you? How deep is your love for him? You know he saved you. You met him then. Again, you met him when you were consecrated. You met him when he answered your prayers. You met him in a tough situation where you felt like God was with you. How about you? Have you met him when you've denied him, when you were unfaithful to him? How deep the Father's love for us. We sing these songs. They're so wonderful. Oh, if we could just see... You know what happens to a person when they sense somebody has deep love for them? You know, a husband or a wife gets married and they love each other. But a lot of times their love is pretty shallow. They just know each other a little bit. But as they go on more and more, they've got a choice. Either they can fall out of love with one another or that love goes deeper. For love to go deeper, there's got to be a lot of grace, a lot of forgiveness, a lot of mercy. And grace goes deeper, and love goes deeper. And if you stay together, when you get married for a long enough period of time, you sense how deep the love of God, even in your marriage. And you can comprehend something of the depth of this love. You know, some of you are going to fail him. And you'll find that He still loves you. Some of you are going to go through a really dark time, and when you do, you'll sense He's so close to you. Now I know a lot of these things. You're still awfully young. I don't know how many experiences you had. You know, so I remember when I was just short of forty years old. I have three sons. And my 19-year-old son died in a car crash. And when that happens, you go to a dark place. And there I found Jesus with me, loving me, even when I couldn't love Him, even when my soul was shattered. We would go through a process of healing where we finally come back. But I know by experience, when you go through a dark place, don't you think that He ever leaves you? Even when you can't feel Him, He is with you. He never leaves you. This is the depth of His love. And He blesses us when we don't even deserve it. What he wants us to do is one day find ourselves captured by his love and becoming a lover. Have you ever considered the fact that you're a lover of Jesus? And I only mean that in holiness, that you love Jesus? Whether you're a man or a woman, are you a lover of Jesus? I hope you see the depth of that one day because that's one of the dimensions of the truth that maybe you have yet to discover. Jesus, lover of my soul, I have become your lover because I see my destiny in Jesus. There will be times in the world where the world will say, go away from Jesus and I'll give you riches or I'll give you promotions or I'll give you all kinds of things. But if you're captured by Jesus, you say, where else can I go, Jesus? I love you the most. This will be an issue that you'll be tested on in your life. And that's why God wants to build these dimensions in you and give you a depth to you. So you're not just shallow, but you've got depth to you because of the depths of Christ. So these are the dimensions. I mean, we could talk a lot more about them, but I think you understand. We're just trying to picture the greatness of Christ and the greatness of the church and what God is doing in His destiny and purpose for the church. But the question remains when we talk about being filled up to all the fullness of God. How full do you want to be of God? How full? You just want to get to know him as a casual acquaintance? You still want to live a narrow life or you want to be broad? You want to live an earthly life or a heavenly? You want to be a selfish, small person or you want to be a loving, large person? These are decisions you're making now every day by your approach And your faith in Jesus Christ. You've been together this weekend. You've seen something of Christ. As you've gotten together. As you've been in in workshops. As you've played together. As you've eaten together. As you've been in these meetings. You've seen little bits of Jesus. Now do you love him? Are you willing to press into him? I'm going to suggest as we close that you think about it like this. I want you to fill your bucket up with God. I know he's as big as the ocean. But you can ask for more. You can ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can ask to know the deeper love of God. You can start to fill your bucket as much as you can hold. And the Holy Spirit will grant you fullness. And it will make all the difference in your life because He's expanding your dimensions as He takes your life and makes it His. I want you to be large Christians with a large heart for the Lord. I want you to be large Christians who really love those people around you, whatever their race or color or or, or, or language. I want you to be high Christians who have heavenly goals in mind and not just earthly. And I want you to be wonderful, deep Christians. Not just shallow ones that fly away, but deep Christians. All that comes by saying, Lord, fill my bucket, fill my life. So I'm going to have a final prayer now. And I'm going to just ask this. Now, please, don't do it because you want to do it. I'm going to ask people to stand who, through this weekend, really felt you want to come to a higher level. You want to fill your bucket with the fullness of God as much as you're able. And I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to pray with you. So at this moment, if you want to say to God, God, fill my bucket full of yourself. I want to be high and deep. I want to be wide and long. I want to be like Jesus. Then I, I'll ask you to stand. If you're still thinking about it, you can you just sit there and think. It's okay. Lord, I, I know you see everybody here. You know the hearts of people sitting down and standing up. But Lord, I pray that you take even this simple uh, a, a step, this simple testimony as they've stood up tonight. Lord, we want to be filled with you. The one thing that we've begun to see is how beautiful you are. Lord, we're captured by your beauty. And we can only come to you and say, Lord, fill us by your Holy Spirit. Fill us with the knowledge of God. Fill us with the love of Jesus Christ. Fill us up to the fullness of God. Only you could do it, Lord. You say you can do it by the power that's working within us. You're able to do this beyond what we ask or think. Fill us with God. Fill this congregation with God. Fill these young people with God. Make it so that when they grow up, they'll make that church fuller where they live because they're full of Christ. Oh, Lord, we're so tired of emptiness and and laziness and and deadliness. We pray for the life of God to be seen in your glorious bride. We pray that you'll, uh, by the cross, cleanse us from things that hold us back and fill our bucket with Jesus Christ till all the world can see. Take these dear lives that are standing before you. Take them at their word. And fill them, Lord. Fill them with the life of God. And make them overflow in a testimony of His grace and of His love. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please be seated. (laughs) Thank you very much for putting up with me, and uh, especially Lucio and Daniel.
1: They really had to put up with me.